What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics. My name is Matt Hannafin, and I am here with my co-host, Isaiah Burroughs. Isaiah, what week is it? It's UNLV week. Oh, yeah. It is UNLV week. Before we get into that, I got a rant. Go right ahead. I got a rant. I got a rant that, yeah, I got a rant. There's something that, like, bugs me, or it doesn't necessarily bug me, but I just don't understand why it happens. Why do Las Vegas journalists call Nevada UNR when it's called by when it's called Nevada by literally everyone else in the United States? Like when it comes to Nevada athletics, they're like, "Oh yeah, UNR." And it's like, well, everyone else calls it the Nevada Wolfpack. We don't. Okay, here's a good example: Fresno State. The official name for that school is California State University, Fresno. No one says that, or they don't say, like, CSUF. Why is it called why – do, why, why do we just go to UNR? I mean, there's certain exceptions, like UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso, UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. There's, of course, UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles. There's also USC, but Southern California is, like, 76 letters, so – I mean, that's, I don't think anyone wants to say University of Southern California. I wouldn't. I'll tell you right. that much for like, sure. Why, but, like, why is it, the only time I see people call it UNR is when I look at someone's Twitter or Instagram bio and they're listing where they go to school and they're like, oh, yeah, I have a certain amount of characters in this given bio, so I'm just going to put UNR instead of Nevada. It's not hard to say Nevada. I mean, you bring up a valid point. Like, what? I just, I don't. I don't understand it. It's I've it's always happened. I see it every like every single Las Vegas journalist or Las Vegas publication or whatever calls it UNR, and I just I don't know. Literally everywhere else in the United States calls it Nevada. Why is it called UNR? Is it like this is an honest question? I'm not trying to be like mean or anything, but are they being petty because we've been a college in the in the state for longer? Like is that is that an actual thing? Because I feel like there's certain UNLV journalists or Las Vegas journalists who who didn't go to school in Las Vegas. Yeah, it could be. I mean, when you're referring to the university itself, I can understand calling it UNR. Right. But in yeah. a Division One athletics perspective, sure. But perspective, like when we talk, when you look at books, when you read online, Nevada. When you see scoreboard, it's Nevada Wolfpack. Yeah. It's not UNR Wolfpack or. <laughs> And that's the weird thing. I mean, you see it in media packets. You see it in media previews by UNLV. Right. They say UNLV versus UNR. Their athletic department refers to it as UNR. Yeah, their own athletic department refers to it as UNR, which is just like, it just confuses me. (laughs) Are we going to go like UNR WP? Yurnup. (laughs) Yurnup. We're playing. Do you guys want to preview some Yurnup UNR WP football this weekend? It's quite the anachronym. Yeah. UNR. WP. Yeah. But no, you bring up like why I don't it's always baffled me. Now I haven't ever gotten a chance to speak to a to a Las Vegas journalist either. So if someone asked you on the street, hey, you know, you're a college student, what college do you attend? Do you say UNR or do you say I attend the University of Nevada? Or Nevada? It depends on where I'm at. Because it's like if I'm out of state, I'll go to University of Nevada Nevada Reno. Because if I say UNR, they will be like, what does UNR stand for? If I say Nevada, they mean like, oh, Las Vegas? So if I'm out of state, then yes. Like around here, I usually just say Nevada. Yeah. Some people ask me like, hey, do you go to UNR? And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I try not to mention it as much for UNR. Mm -hmm. In a club sports setting, I would say UNR because it's on campus Mm -hmm. itself. So they're on the institution, which is the University of Nevada, Reno. But in a lot of senses, yeah, especially from a Nevada athletics and Division I perspective, Nevada follows AP-style rules. I've never written anything that says UNR basketball, UNR football, UNR women's volleyball, UNR men's golf, mm-hmm. go on like, and on. I don't call Texas. I don't, when I refer to like University of Texas, I don't refer to University of Texas at Austin. I don't say UTA. I, you just call it Texas. Yeah. And, you know, we're not the only ones talking about this and always bringing up this discussion. I know it's been just, talked about before, but whenever we play UNLV, this just gets brought up because right. it, it, and it, it happens and every I'm time. And I'm purposely bringing it up because it just confuses me. And it'll, and it'll always confuse me. Like, I don't understand it. But anyways. <laughs> Back to the action, I guess, what we're all here for. UNLV week, Isaiah. Pretty important. Big game for Jay Norvell. Big game for this team. Battle of the Fremont Cannon. The most expensive trophy in college football. Gotta love it. Gotta love the tradition. Gotta love the history. It would also be the first game at Allegiant Stadium for UNLV this year. Also being the first game for fans to attend. They're holding it at a 3% capacity. 3% capacity. Which equates to nearly 2,000 fans, or approximately 2,000 fans. And so the Raiders, it, Allegiant Stadium is home of the Las Vegas Raiders of the NFL. They haven't been having fans this year. How, what do you think about UNLV having fans? Like, I find that to be interesting. It's that, really cool. Yeah, well, Especially it's cool, since but we'll like, be the first college team playing there. <laughs> right. I know. It's very interesting to see that. Because you've seen, like, other NFL stadiums, Arrowheads keeping fans. Philadelphia Eagles have had fans in their stadium. Really interesting to see the Raiders like, not. The Raiders own the stadium, and they're not the they're ones not having the ones. fans. It's the school that lives in the city, which is, it, I just find that to be like an interesting dynamic. Hey, either way, I'm taking it because oh, for having sure. some fans for this game, UNR, UNLV, as a UNLV no. person would say, <laughs> Nevada UNLV, having this type of game being played this week, I'm really excited. Fans or no fans, it's going to be, you know, I was already kind of looking forward to it. So. For sure. And it's also on Nevada Day. October 31st. Yeah. I think that's like the first time ever that's happened. Big game. As you mentioned many a times. Big <laughs> and game. it's only the second game of the season, but it's still big. And that's that's something it, It's a rivalry. It's, it's not usually in the beginning of the season yeah. like that, because usually there's non-conference games before that. There's been years... I think it was like 2015 or 2015 or something like that where they had it like the first or second game like in conference but you have not conference games before that it's not usually the second game of the season you're running into your in-state rival at least in this particular rivalry. I know when I looked at the schedule a few weeks back when it came out the truncated eight game conference schedule and I saw UNLV for week 2 I was it's not that I was particularly surprised that it was so early but now that it's here Wow, it it just feels yeah. early. Is that do you kind of get that same feeling? Yeah. It's like wow, yeah, we're already here. Yeah, okay. usually I think about Nevada UNLV being like the last or second to last game on the schedule. Yes. Or you like s- in the bottom third of the season. I don't really think of it as like, all right, yeah, you're playing your season opener. Oh, and guess what? You're playing UNLV next. Like what? Huh? No, and I that's really kind of interesting because especially in college football I think of every single game kind of as like a chapter 
throughout the course of a season. So when you progress through a college football season, you have, you know, you endure through a lot, wins and losses. And when UNLV is on the schedule toward the later end of the schedule, I think it's kind of like a, a great, kind of like a stamp or some sort of stomping ground or just something to end your regular season on a high note with hopefully postseason aspirations and bowl appearances. But having UNLV this early, it's really interesting just to see what's going to happen. I'm already guessing Nevada football's riding high after last week's awesome overtime victory, which we touched on. I don't know if they're riding high. They're looking at UNLV being like, we lost them twice in these last two years when we've objectively been the better team each of those last two years. I don't think they can ride high on Or I, I don't think that's their mindset. You don't think so? And you know what? It's a good point. Because it's like, this is our in-state rival. The cannon is very important, and it's currently down south. They want to bring that baby back. That's why this game's big. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. But no. We'll talk talk about how important this game is later. First, we'll get into how you know V did last week. Oh, boy. Wasn't great. (laughs) Big yikes. (laughs) Was not great. I watched a little bit of it. I was mostly cleaning up my story, watching post-game and stuff like that from Nevada because San Diego State UNLV was on immediately after the Nevada game. And considering how long the Nevada game went, it was like four hours long. It went like, it pretty much took the entire first quarter of the San Diego State UNLV game. So the fans didn't really get to see much of it anyways unless they streamed it online, which you can do. But yeah, UNLV lost to San Diego State 34-6. to um, they were down 27-0 at half. It could have been 31-0 if it wasn't for a drop touchdown by Bellinger or a horrendously bad overturn on a touchdown catch from Jesse Matthews where he caught it like one-handed. They called it a touchdown initially, but then they overturned it, which at least the replays that I looked at, it was a catch. But anyways, they were down 27-0 at half. UNLV had one first down compared to San Diego State 17 Six of their first seven drives resulted in punts. Like Not good. Was not good. Uh, granted, San Diego State's defense is arguably the best defense in the conference. So it's kind of hard to gauge how good they actually are offensively if you just start facing the best defense in the conference or one of the best on the road. That's not going to be anything easy. Oh, yeah. It's not a favorable week one matchup not whatsoever. At all. Not I at would all. hate to open my season against SDSU. And that was, you know, I think the performance kind of spoke for itself. You really saw the difference in two programs. And SDSU is a highly acclaimed program. They've established themselves as one of the best in the conference for a long time now. So it's going to be interesting. And the game itself was really, really tough. I mean, when you allow 287 rushing yards on 46 carries and three touchdowns, that's an average of 6.2 yards per carry. Yeah, that's not good. Not good at all, in fact. But, you know, that's, I guess we'll see some, you know, I think in that case, maybe the only way to go up is here. Yeah, I mean, you can't get much worse right. than that. They had a much better second half. They only held San Diego State to four first downs while UNLV had 10. They scored. Nice. They scored. There's really, I mean, I don't like moral victories in sports, but that's one of them. At least you found the end zone. Right. And it was on a four-yard pass from Max Gilliam to Steve Jenkins. So it, it's it's like they can carry that 
sort of positive into Reno. I certainly hope not. I, I certainly guess. hope they don't say, hey, guys, we scored a touchdown last week. Oh, no, week. I would have been. Let's do this. I would have been. Yeah, no, I, I would have been as pissed as any UNLV like player if that was me. But, like, you have to find some positive in a game, right? Sometimes. That's one out of potentially just one. I don't <laughs> defense held up a little bit better in the second right, half. Right, that's that, I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's, that can be something to carry over, but and the, the reason why their defense held up in the second half was in large part to their offense being able to sustain a drive. Yeah, string together no no more three and outs. At least take some time off the clock. Keep your defense rested. <laughs> right. At least get UNLV used three quarterbacks. None of them were Super great. They used three quarterbacks within the first like 20 minutes of the game or 20-ish minutes. I saw a tweet from Mike Whitman, who is over at Mountain West Connection, the site that I write for. And I think he said it was 22 minutes, something like that. It was like three quarterbacks in the first 22 minutes, and none of it was because of injuries. It was performance-related. Right, it was performance-related. And it was like, what in the way? They didn't name a starter before the game, which complicates things. They started out with Max Gilliam, and then they went to Kenyon Oblad for, I think, a drive or two, and then they finished the half with Justin Rogers, and they're like, you know what? Let's go we're, back to Gilliam. Anyway, we're just going to go to Gilliam for the rest of the game. <laughs> and, hey, I mean, it worked in the second half, I guess. It didn't really work, but... I'm, it, I'm didn't assuming... work, it didn't work to the expectation you would want it to be if you were a UNLV. So heading into next week, are you expecting Gilliam to be the starter? Do you announce yes. that they will at least have a starter in place before the game, or, or are we just going to be hands in, a, hands in the air thinking, oh, it'll be one of the three? <laughs> but my goodness, having three different quarterbacks in 22 minutes of game, I've never even heard of that, let alone seen it none in of, Yeah, none of them are super capable of generating success but if you were to pick one just based off of Saturday's performance it would be Gillian and Oblad was good I didn't know there was like a big quarterback competition but like Oblad finished the year strong last year he had over a thousand yards passing with 10 touchdowns and three interceptions in the team's final five games and he did pretty solid against Nevada so I don't know why they would deviate away from that unless there was an actual quarterback competition because Gilliam was the starter in 2018 so so maybe there is. I mean, it's maybe just, there is. I guess we'll see more as the season progresses, and especially heading into next week. So that'd be really interesting to see is who can kind of come out on top between the two, because it seems like it's really between Gilliam and Oblad, right? I don't know about the whole Justin Rogers experiment. Maybe I didn't see that. Maybe, but who knows? With this quarterback situation, I don't know if they know. That's a not a good situation to be in. It's not ideal. No. It just kind of reminds me of like the situations that Nevada was in a few years ago. <laughs> David Cornwell, Ty Ganji, Cayman Curitan. It just remi- it just reminds me of that whole like quarterback carousel that we went through. At least the, when Norvell first got here. Yeah, the rebuilding phase a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Gosh, Marcus Arroyo is going through like, a similar thing because this is his first head coaching job, I believe. And... It's for a UNLV team that just hasn't been great. They were 4-8 and eight last year. They just haven't been super good the last few years. And so this is your rebuilding phase, and you're trying to figure out, all right, who do I got? What's my personnel with my system? 
And Arroyo, when he was who was the offensive coordinator at Oregon last year, I mean, they like to pass the ball. Of course, no Justin Herbert's walking in that door, but at least one of your it. worst offensive units is your quarterback position. At least I would think. So you're just trying to see what you have. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have an offseason because of COVID. And that, see, that's what I was just about to say is just how that complicates things. Maybe you're experimenting with things just early on, you know, week one, just to see what you have in the backfield and really see who you can have faith in as a coaching staff and, you know, more credit to them if that's the case. So that'd be kind of interesting to see having three different quarterbacks in that room. But I'm, I'm expecting things to kind of straighten out. As the season progresses, I don't see any experimentation because all three of them, in some ways, they kind of share some distinct similarities, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could build the offense around one of them and whoever you have the most trust and confidence in. So, If they're going to go with Gilliam went 13 for 21 with 105 yards and a touchdown, got sacked four times because San Diego State's pressure was out of this world. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Kenyon Oblad. Only two for four with two yards. And then Justin Rogers was two for four with negative one yards. Now Rogers did have eight yards on the ground, and Oblad had six yards. And then Gilliam, considering college weights, sacks is negative rushing. Gilliam had negative 12 yards. That's not good. No. But he gained 16, but he lost 28 on the four sacks. That's just not an ideal situation. San Diego State had 14 tackles for loss and five sacks. That's preposterous. Yeah, you want to talk about wreaking havoc on the defensive side of the ball. My goodness. Part of the reason why they couldn't sustain a drive in the first half is San Diego State just kept generating pressure and pressure. Second and medium, third and medium, and not very many manageable situations that they were in. And so that didn't bode well for them. And going off that... One of the strengths, or not one of the strengths, the strengths of this UNLV offense is riding the chuck wagon. What a strong, what a strong name. The, a chuck, name. the chuck wagon. I wish we had something like that. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty cool. We have Carson Strong. What, what, what could we do for that? Strong army? No. The strong army. And him and just all of the good receivers and skill position players that we have. It doesn't even touch the Chuck Wagon. Oh, no, it doesn't. The Chuck Wagon is a strong A-plus name. A-plus. I see what you did there. A little play on words. I like <laughs> that. If you don't know who we're mentioning, it's running back Charles Williams for UNLV. It's pretty darn good. Pretty I good. Mean, you can argue he's one of the top conferences running back behind Valaday from Wyoming, who Nevada or, just faced. Or, yeah, or George Halani from Boise State. Oh, another one. Yeah. All well, three all three of them are like 1A, 1B, and 1C in terms of who's the best running back in this conference. No, this would be a good face. This you is know. another test where, I mean, as we talked about in the, in the season preview, if you haven't listened to that episode, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go check it out, episode 118. Nevada's linebackers... And Nevada's just defensive front, beginning of the season, is just going to be immediately thrown in the fire. Week one, they held Valde in check for at least some of the game. They didn't let him break out. They didn't let him do what he does and just kill Nevada after he rightfully destroyed Nevada last year with, I think, 204 rushing yards. Yeah, keeping him in check to 87 rushing yards on 22 carries last week. And like you mentioned, he broke out in some aspects – 
during the second half and found his way to the second level. But once again, we're facing another top-tier mm-hmm. running back in Charles Williams, who's explosive, he's pretty kind of versatile threat out the backfield, and he's good. No, he's he's established himself as the centerpiece to the UNLV offense, and for good reason. Yeah, he had, just going back to last year, he had 20 carries for 138 yards and a touchdown against him. That's pretty good. Really good. Again, another guy that we have to hold in check with this new scheme, this new defensive front. And UNLV's offensive line isn't that bad. They're led by right guard Julio Garcia, who's been on preseason watch list for one of the Mountain West guard positions. Like, I know they got blasted last week by San Diego State, but when it comes to, the, like, their run blocking, they're not a terrible line. Their pass blocking, on the, on the other hand, isn't great, but no, the center the centerpiece of their offense is Williams. For good reason. Mm-hmm. He's, For sure. I'm not trying to say they're going to run him to the ground, but they're going to utilize him in tons of aspects, and that's something we definitely need to hone in on because – if we can do the same thing we did with Valaday last week, you saw how that kind of limited Wyoming's offense really put the ball in. I'm already forgetting the quarterback's name. Levi Williams. Thank you. Levi Williams' hands. And while he did make his fair share of plays on the ground too, we kind of built a sustainable first half lead because of our defensive pressure and getting to the backfield. So if we can do the same thing we did last week in regards to Williams, put some pressure in that quarterback room for UNLV as well. And that's kind of interesting, too, as you mentioned, with Arroyo's new scheme, kind of pass-heavy over there at Oregon, just to see how he can balance he's gonna have game. To, Yeah, he's going to have to to change his probably change his scheme to fit the personnel, at least for these, like, first year, second year. Maybe. On defense, though, you want to hop into the defensive side of the football? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit when you mentioned earlier how the trio of running backs just gashed. UNLV. Typical San Diego State football. We're going to run the football. We're going to pound it down your throat, and you're going to do nothing about it. And that's, that's what they did on Saturday. And they rushed for 287 yards, a few touchdowns, over six yards of carry. They just gashed him. Like, Carson Baker wasn't great, but he didn't need to be. No, especially when you have that trio there at SDSU. It's pretty formidable. I know there's not one star or formidable type type of guy that you know they hand the ball off to consistently but when you have that package each one of them brings something different to the table so and they utilize all of their strengths to the fullest capability so excuse me it was a quartet of rushers greg bell keegan williams jordan burden chance bell that's preposterous yeah four at least four had at least 40 yards rushing greg bell of course led 19 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, we know UNLV's not strong. You know, they gave up over 33 points per game last year. Nobody had nobody on this year's current roster had more than two sacks. Mm-hmm. So that can be something we truly take advantage of is strong taking his time in the pocket, and that'll help our offensive line too after the performance they had at home last week. I mean, that... A lot of positives to take away from the offensive line, excluding some of the penalties. But, you know, we know this UNLV front is not formidable whatsoever. So maybe Strong can find some time down the field, really pick his spots and attack. San Diego State has a very good line, but hopefully we can get our run game if we need to. 
Because last year we didn't do that against UNLV. We only averaged not even three yards of carry last year against against UNLV. So getting our run game going, if Tala comes back, if if Devontae is getting snaps, if Avery Morrow is getting snaps, we could establish a run game, and that helps strong even more. Yeah. We don't have be, to put all the pressure on his shoulders. That'll be a different aspect that you touched on because last year it was that strong Cooks connection that really brought the game into overtime. Cooks had a season high in receiving yards of that game. He had over 150 yards, hauled in a couple scores. So a lot of that game was on Strong's shoulders, and you know things could be different this year or this time around. Mm-hmm. So especially if we get Toa Tower healthy back into the starting lineup, we saw what Devontae Lee and Avery Morrow did last week. Very you know optimistic in that sense. And analytically, it doesn't make much sense to like run the ball at the time, but. It's like you want to be more efficient on early down situations. But if Nevada can at least establish a little bit of a run game, that could bode well for Strong. Oh, yeah, and especially. Efficiently down the field. And that will only increase our time of possession. I mean, UNLV allowed 17 first downs in the first half last week against SDSU. I mean, you want to talk about dominating time of possession. That's what SDSU does. That's their motto. Mm-hmm. That's not really our motto offensively. We're more quick strike efficient. But if we can just get the running game started to cope with the passing game, that could be a dangerous combination against our in-state rival. And don't get me wrong, I would be perfectly fine for Carson Strong throwing for 400-plus yards again. Who wouldn't? The <laughs> three touchdowns. UNLV fans. They would hate the UNR, they would, they would they hate would. The WP quarterback to throw for just all over the field. They would hate for that. Well, because U- it may happen. Isaiah, what are your keys to victory on Saturday? I think, once again, I... I want to translate back to the defensive side of the football for the Wolfpack. Just keep making plays. We saw last week that Berdale Robbins interception really helped turn the tides for us in a close game that was really down to the wire, and his interception gave us that cushion we needed. I know we didn't take advantage of it with the score, but if it wasn't for that interception, we may not be in overtime, may not even win the game for that aspect. So our defense was tested, especially in the second half and of last week against Wyoming, and if we can just build upon that, because there were some serious takeaways that you can really bring forward to next week. And this UNLV offense, struggling. It's kind of in a rebuilding stage as a program. There's not a lot of go-to pieces outside of Chuck Wagon, as we like to call him. The Chuck Wagon. Yeah, let me put the Chuck Wagon. An emphasis on the, the one and only Charles Williams. So if we can keep him intact and really come up with a few turnovers to put the ball back in Carson Strong's hands and see what he can do offensively and big things can happen. You know, another one, seeing more big plays that we talked about last week against Wyoming. Strong just really testing the second level of the defense, quick strikes, downfield throws. If more of that can continue and progress against UNLV, they obviously have the capability on paper and the talent to do so. So that's just something to keep an eye on as well. What are your keys to the game? you have anything in particular? Stop Williams. Again, kind of like the same, I feel like I'm saying the same thing. I said the same thing with Valaday last week. You just have to contain the strongest weapon, and you have to make him beat you through the air. And if you can contain Williams and limit him to an extent, this could be a good game. Could potentially make plays in the defensive end. Sacks, maybe some fumbles, turnovers, up key play defensively, just stop Williams. Second one, keep the foot on the gas, Carson. I know we just talked about five minutes ago about trying to establish a run game. 
But if you can effectively throw the ball downfield, if you can, if you can take advantage of the one-on-one matchups, you'll get you'll be getting Elijah Cooks back for a full game. Maybe you could be getting Toa back. Maybe if not, Cole Turner emerged himself. Romeo Dubs is always there. Avery Morrow, Devontae Lee, like you still have Melquan Stovall. You have a plethora of weapons to utilize. Hopefully this year we don't dig ourselves in a hole in the first quarter and we can against UNLV and we can get ourselves out of that. Just start quickly. That's basically the that's basically in summary, start quickly. And potentially build off of that. I also stay disciplined. We don't need 12 penalties again for over 100 yards. That wasn't great. That's that's what happens, though. First game of the season sometimes. You're just you're ready, you're antsy. That'll take its course throughout the season. Hopefully that can be limited. Also, turnovers. Can't have three turnovers. Four if they would have counted that strong interception. But three turnovers, that's something you'll have to do. I mean, even though you know these offense isn't great, you, we don't want to put them in manageable situations where they're in our own territory. We want to limit that as much as we can. Also, finally, get the running game going. Nevada averaged, again, 2.9 yards a carry last year. Tao didn't have a great game. Lee didn't have a great game. Establish a run game and build off of that if you can. Last week was evidence that Nevada can have an average run game or a slightly above average run game, and we could still produce as many points as we can. But if our run game gets going, it makes that thing so much easier for this offense. It opens up so many things. Yeah, you bring up great points. I mean, with that run game, even if we can just sustainably produce drives Mm -hmm. and not be so heavy in the passing game, it can really open up so many avenues for us. Again, if Carson is able to throw 45, 50, 55 passes at an efficient rate, then by all means do it. But if you can get a run game going in certain early down situations, take advantage. Take advantage of it. And you saw last year with us trailing, a lot of it was on Strong's shoulders from the game, you know, just early on. And he proved he was capable of bringing it back. But when you get to that point, it sometimes things just fall apart. And you don't want to see that. And that's why one of your key points is to get out, you know, to an early lead. You saw what happened last week. It gave us, you know, maybe too much comfort, I would mm-hmm. say, and kept our foot off the gas in that aspect. You got to keep your foot on the gas. Got to keep aggressive. Got to stay disciplined and aggressive. Kind of hard to find that middle balance, I would say, between the two. But if you can get out to a quick start against UNLV, it seems as if they don't really have, you know, the talent on the field to really get it done. So I think if you can put the game out of hand as quickly as you possibly can, while staying aggressive, while staying disciplined. That's important. I think you can easily come out with a win, a win that is much needed after Mm -hmm. back-to-back losses to UNLV. And just segueing into something I want to ask you, how big do you think this game is for Jay Norvell? Yeah, I want to – I know it's big. You know – Losing back-to-back games against UNLV. And the way it happened last year, following game-winning score and then the brawl, it was an ugly look for especially both programs and ours in particular. And when you look at Norvell's resume as a whole, you see back-to-back bowl appearances. You see a bowl win in 2018. But losing to your in-state rival, that's UNLV, twice in the fashion that you did, it's a tough pill to swallow. 
this is a must win. I really do believe that, especially coming off the Wyoming win. Wow, must win. It's I know I went from a wow. loss to a must win. That's if you don't get don't the hate, gist by now. I don't on the trampoline. That. I don't hate that. Jump from one narrative to another. I mean, it's preposterous to call something a must-win game in the second game of the season, but this is a big game for Jay Norvell. He'll make 25000 if he wins this game. It's not like his job is in... Jeopardy. Yeah, it's not like his job is in jeopardy or anything. He just signed a five-year extension in the offseason, but the fan base is obviously going to... It's going to harp on you. It's going to criticize you if you can't beat UNLV, if you lose to UNLV three straight years. Yeah, it's a big win to have on your resume, and you need it. And just to have this game so early in the year is going to be really interesting because if you could start off 2-0, and which, you know, hearing my preseason prediction, I definitely did not see that coming. So not only would you get a big win over Wyoming, who was favored and looked really solid on paper, but coming out with that win and then getting a win over your in-state rival the following week on the road, that's big. That's a huge way to start the year, and big things can be built upon that. So having that type of confidence in what you're doing, and this win can be huge. It could be a big step forward for the program as a whole throughout the year, and yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. I know we're still listed as double-digit favorites, Last time I checked, it was 14 points, according to CBS Sports. Mm-hmm. I do not see that taking place. I know UNLV is decimated in some ways and coming off just an absolute blowout loss to SDSU. Still, the two programs have familiarity with one another. It's always close these past few years, and I do not see a double-digit victory in either aspect for UNLV or Nevada. That bleeds me into what I want to ask you next. What's your prediction? I'm going to go new information here, folks. I'm sorry. I know I had us losing two weeks ago. It's okay. I'm a trampoline. I jump from one end of the spectrum to another with new information and new things to take on to, but I'm going to go with a 27 to 20 Nevada victory. I think it's going to be close. I just think ultimately we're going to make more plays on both ends of the ball. I see some turnovers happening. I see us creating more havoc. I see us getting through on defense and totaling up a few sacks, maybe forcing a couple fumbles, getting a timely interception. And obviously, when our offense is clicking, it's very exciting. And there's a lot to build upon it and really take advantage of. So ultimately, I think it's going to be closer than what the sports books have it. But I see Nevada squeaking out a really good road victory over its in-state rival and, more importantly, retaining the Fremont Cannon, bringing it back up north. Now, do you have a prediction in mind? I do, but I'm saving my exact score prediction for my article on Friday on Mountain West Connection. Please go check that out when it comes out on Friday. But I'm st- I'm I'm with you. I think it's going to be a closer game. I don't know how many of you fans out there watch Army Navy every year. At least in recent memory, predicting Nevada UNLV is like predicting Army Navy. You just don't know what's going to happen. Regardless of how good either team is, it's always like a slugfest. It's always close. It's always unpredictable. And of course, each game is unpredictable to an extent, but like it's been very unpredictable these last few years with Nevada and UNLV. Oh, yeah, especially from last year. Did you see last year playing out the way it did? No. Because I certainly did. Did you see two years ago? No. With what? <laughs> for, for those who don't know, Nevada had a 23 0 
second quarter lead and lost the game. 34-29. Wow. Just seeing how the tides have turned these past two years, it's not been good. Like, they split the last eight. I know Nevada in the early 2000s, I believe, had an eight-game win streak. That's the largest win streak any team's had. And that goes back to, like, my Army-Navy thing. Navy had, I want to say, a 14- or a 15-game win streak over Army in the early 2000s for the longest time. That was snapped a few years ago, and then Army finally beat them, and it's just been kind of like they're, they've been trading blows like back and forth these last five or six years, something like that. But like it's like predicting that in a sense to where regardless if one team is ranked or one team isn't or how good a record is between one or the other, it's always close, or it has been recently. No, and I think that's why this week's is so important Mm -hmm. and i don't like and the army navy comparison is kind of like not great but it's something it's a mildly good comparison but it's the point i'm trying to get across no it just shows how tight-knit these contests have been in recent years and you just can't have three straight losses to unlv i think that's just a bad look no matter where this game was scheduled throughout the eight games just having it early you can really get it out of the way brush off that adversity off your shoulder going into Las Vegas and seeing what you have as a program. I think that's really important. And there was a lot of positives on both sides of the football. We made some eye-opening plays that will translate to week two. And there isn't a better time to do it against your in-state rival on Nevada Day, Fremont Cannon at stake. We know the stakes are high. No matter what UNLV went through last week, they're going to be ready to play. And I think that's why it's going to be such a close, tight-knit contest. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. I don't know about you. I think every, you know, most I fans mean, in Nevada are going to if be you, if pretty you're not, excited. If you're not excited for this, then... What I mean, you... regardless if you view this as a rivalry or not, because I know some don't, because of maybe the point differential in past years, some yeah, some consider Boise State a bigger rival to Nevada than UNLV is, and that's fine. I don't I'm not I don't hate the take. I'm not judging it by any means. But if you're not excited about Nevada UNLV, I mean I get it if you're not completely in tune with like college athletics or college sports right now because of like the coronavirus and so much other stuff going on. We have the, the election next week. Like people are worrying about that. Like it's a weird time, a really weird time. The diehards are going to be pumped. Oh, yeah, especially... And I'm excited to see what Nevada and UNLV can do. Yeah, I mean, and having fans in the stadium, I know it's only going to be 2,000, but do you expect some noise to be going on? Because I'm you expecting a little a little bit of action. Fake or, like, real I think noise? it's going to be fake, but I, I hope to hear a little bit of crowd noise, real actual crowd noise for that matter. Mm-hmm. Because I know even with teams having a limited amount of fans, they still pump in crowd noise, depending on how much fans they let in, that 3% capacity. It's not going to be much, but it'll be something. And that's just another aspect to take away from it is at least fans are going to be there, and it's it's the matchup you want to see. And it's early. It's going to be a big week. And, you know, for the season as a whole, if you can start off 2-0 after two – Good opponents. I know UNLV right now doesn't look good on paper, but they always play us tough. Just getting those two wins out of the way to start the year can really build things forward for the season as a whole. It's going to be really good. So I'm I'm positive. I'm optimistic. I'm excited. So it's going to be a fun day. And just going to 
I just want to see that cannon back in our position. It's also a late night game where we got our first. I mean, Nevada usually plays seven o'clock games, or at least Pacific time, depending on where you live at. That could be later or earlier, but we get our first seven thirty showdown, prime time on FS1. I'm looking forward to it on Nevada. I like it. What time was it last year? Like it was like the middle of it the day. It was four p.m. I think because no, it, it was earlier than was four. It, earlier it was like four? I think it was one. I think you're right because yeah. it was still light outside when yeah. the post game press conference happened, which doesn't happen if a lot of times. Yeah, because I had to go to something after that. That's uh, gosh, I think it was that early. Having a 1 p.m. kickoff against your in-state rival. It was year, something like that here. I let think me, it was. Let me pull it up. I think you're right on the head there. I think it was 1 p.m. because I remember it being. No, it was noon. Was it noon? Even earlier. It was wow. noon. And considering it went into overtime, it just lasted longer. Having a noon kickoff. That's cool. But noon having kickoffs a, are cool, but... Prime time. Prime prime time on FS1. We don't get these very often, so we're happy. <laughs> well, I mean, we get them on, like, CBS, like, Sports Network sometimes. And I guess it just depends on, but, like, our first, like, prime time of the year. It's big, considering the circumstances. And I, I, mean, I don't mean prime... T- I mean, I say prime time loosely, because it's, of course, Ohio State, Penn State, of course, yeah. Day. We're not going to match up to those. Yeah. But for us, it's, it's big. It, instead of like the Pac-12 after dark, it's the Mountain West after dark. I like that. Yeah. Love well, to see it. is that a wrap? Not quite yet. As we talked about in the season preview, I mean, I'm a superstitious person. Isaiah, do you have any superstitions? Yes, in some aspects I do. You don't have to say them. I think I'm certainly, I'm certainly yeah, I'm not, keeping them to myself. I'm certainly not going to say them on this podcast. Only very few people know, unless if you had, unless if we had a couple hours, we don't. So I'm not going to say them. But UNLV wore their white helmets on Saturday, the first time ever they've done that, and they're they're now zero and one, zero point zero percent win percentage. Not great. Not good. Mm-mm. Keep it up. Let's see more of those if white they helmets. Can win, and as far as we know. The statistical data for Nevada silver helmets. I'm sure there's been. I I know there's been more times, but we just haven't tracked the data. The earliest we've tracked the data is the last one game. They've won one out of their last one games with the silver helmets. It's destiny. It's meant to happen. Is UNLV not wear the white helmets on Saturday? I certainly hope they do. Prediction. No, they don't. (laughs) But I certainly hope they do. They I, might, might hmm, I actually don't know. Did they wear their silvers last year? They wore their yeah, silver helmets last was, year? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Do they have a red helmet? They have to have a red helmet, right? I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure college they, teams have like a variety of helmets. I think Some they, of them do. I don't think they go back to the whites. Not for superstitious reasons, but I think they I don't think they would the care about superstitious. Too. I'm just bringing yeah. up for the sake of conversation. and. Oh, yeah. I like superstitious stuff. It's something to keep an eye on, too. We're, we're going to be checking UNLV box scores. We're going to be catching the game, seeing if they're wearing white helmets. We're expecting losses, and you best believe we'll be looking if Nevada football has their silver helmets on because we'll be stacking up the dubs quickly throughout the year. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the circumstances are. Surprised they waited like 53 years to wear white helmets. That's interesting. That's kind of, yeah, I mean, that's a long time. Maybe they wanted to stick with what, what's been working for them, if you know what I mean, that one conference title. Nevada has 11 since 1983. UNLV has one, and that was the Big West in 1994. It's time for a change. 
listen, as us superstitious people say, if it doesn't work, change it up. Fix it. If it's broke, fix it. Please do. That's the thing, too. I'm, like, big into superstitious socks. That is one of my superstitions. Okay. Got to have the right socks on. Mm -hmm. You have to. Could be differing colors. Could be different materials of sock. I know it's. I'm not trying to get into a sock rant, but socks are key to victory in some aspects. Just like a helmet. I promise you, it's it's one of those things. I promise. You think Marcus Arroyo's looking at the white helmets? He's like, nope. Yes. Throw them out. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're already in the yeah. trash. <laughs> They're already thrown away. He's already I'm, saying no. If I were to guess, you know V's uniform wave, it's going to be like all black with like maybe like a black helmet or like a silver helmet or something. Yeah, I was kind of expecting that too. That's just a complete guess based off of no information at all yeah. whatsoever. I don't know. I'm just imagining that in my head right now. Do you see Nevada wearing white? Yeah. Uh, yeah, on the road. Yeah. White, blue pants, maybe blue helmet. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a silver helmet. Maybe. Love to see that. They're considering, one, they're one for their they're yeah. one for their last one this year. I don't see why not. Keep it keep the train rolling. And believe. if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it is broke, fix it. And if it's not broke, don't fix it. I can't believe we're talking about uniform patterns on this podcast. <laughs> it's what you gotta do sometimes. <laughs> we're just keeping track. All right, that should probably do it, right? Do you have anything else to add? No, sir. I am all good. UNLV versus Nevada this weekend, 7.30 on FS1, or as UNLV fans or UNLV journalists or Las Vegas journalists like to say it, UNR versus UNLV. Um, Isaiah's currently shaking his head. I'm completely with him. It doesn't flow off the tongue. Anyways, thank you for listening. See you next week.